Well, we have <clears throat> two Sundays left after today to complete our story. And uh, let's just pause this morning and like to just again remind us of the big picture of, of what's going on in our world and what's going on in, in human history. We're not just here by chance. Uh, it wasn't an accident that we got here. <clears throat> and even if you believe in a God who created and designed everything, which most people do, uh, it just it seems to make sense that if a God created all this and he created us, that he must have had some purpose, he must have had some design to it. And we've been looking at that story that God has been writing. So here's the big picture. In the beginning, there was Eden. God is with man in a perfect, unbroken relationship. I mean, this is, this is truly paradise on earth. Everything's perfect. There's nothing wrong. There's no pain. There's no tears. There's no brokenness. Uh, there's, there's none of all of the things that we experience in this, this day. And that is because of a, a major event in the story, which is called the fall. In the fall, everything changed. Man's relationship with God was broken. And God told the original uh, beings that he created that the day that you eat of this fruit, in other words, the day that you go your own way, you disobey me, the day that you sin, uh, you will die. And that relationship with God was broken. And so we live in that broken world. However, because God is both just and because he's loving and absolutely just and absolutely loving, God had to do something about sin. Sin had to be atoned for. It had to be paid for. And God had to do something about this broken relationship because he's a God of love. And so we see that in the Bible, we see God's plan to restore this broken relationship. So in essence, that's what this book is about. If someone were to, to say, what is this book about? It's about your relationship with God, how it was broken and God wants to restore it. In fact, God wants to bring you back. He wants to restore you to like it was in the very beginning before man ever sinned. And so the bookmarks to the story are Eden where everything's perfect, and God's renewed kingdom, where everything again is restored as it was once intended to be. In the Bible, what we have is God's plan then to restore us. Three basic acts. Number one, God chooses, chooses a nation, nation of Israel. And he is going to bring about this plan. He's going to begin to foreshadow what's to come through this nation and through how they interact with him. And so in the Old Testament, we have that nation of Israel. Act 2, the rescuer comes. A savior comes. God sends this restore. God sends the hero into the story. Uh, God sends the Savior Jesus Christ. And the Gospels outline the story of Christ's life, his coming, his death, his resurrection, and the plan that God had to save us through his life, and through simple faith in what he did. Act 3 is now that God has provided a way of salvation, he's calling out, he's building a community of people. The word church means literally called out once. 
And so today, if you're here and you have placed your faith in Christ and you have received the life that He gives, you are a called out one. You are part of the church. The church is not a building. It's not a program. It's people. And so God is building this community with whom He will reign in the new Eden, in the restored kingdom forever and ever. And so as we are coming here today, we are living in this part of the story. This is where we are in God's great redemptive plan and in His story. In the book of Acts, what we have then is the beginning of God calling out people. It begins with 120 in the upper room, and it grows from there. This morning we're going to look at a new character that God chose to be a part of the story. And he is going to be a primary person who is going to build this church, who's going to be used by God to, to call out people. And I have to tell you, he was an extremely unlikely pick for this role. Acts 7, beginning with verse 58. I'd like to read it. They have just a leader in the early church. The church now has grown very rapidly. They estimate there are about 15,000 people in the church in Jerusalem. It grew from 120. On one day, it says 3,000 people got saved. They had friends, family, aunts, uncles. They brought them. More people got saved, believed in the work of Christ. So the church is somewhere around 15,000 people. And there's one of the, the newly appointed leaders, Stephen, in that church. And he is being stoned to death, beginning in verse 58. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. Now remember, this is 15,000 people, and this is what happened. And all except the apostles, just about a dozen guys, everyone was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That would be like if persecution broke out, and next Sunday, the only people that were left here were five or six overseers. Everybody else had had to scatter throughout in every direction, uh, running for their lives. But as we'll see, this was all part of God's purpose and his work to spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem. We see that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So here's this man, his name is Saul, and he is responsible for the destruction of the early church. His number one goal in life, his number one passion, is to destroy the church and to imprison Christians. And so here we see the life of Paul. And God looks down and he says, I think I'll pick him to build the church. 
I mean, it's always kind of funny. God looks down and said, who would be the last person on earth that you would expect to do this? That's who I'm going to pick. It shouldn't surprise us. He picked Abraham and Sarah. They couldn't have a baby. He picked Moses, who was a fugitive. He picked Gideon to, be, to defeat over 100,000 Midianites, and he was just a farmer. God has a history of choosing people. He chose uneducated fishermen to start the early church. You know, there were some things that were ideal about Paul. Number one is he was extremely passionate. Number two, he was fearless. Number three, he was a very intelligent man. In our day, he would be like a top lawyer. He was so well-versed. He was uh, one of the best in Jewish law. He understood Jewish thought inside and out. He was single. He wasn't married, so he had undevoted time to give. The only thing he needed was a change of heart. And that was just around the corner. We see Acts chapter 9. Listen to the account. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called the Christians there, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he goes into the city. We see that he is then introduced in verses 26 and 27. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So, a two-by-four to the head, Saul here has his Damascus Road experience, and the heart change takes place. And Paul enters the stage as to be the most significant man in the first century to build the church of Jesus Christ, a man who had once tried to destroy it. When Acts 13, and basically what the book of Acts is about from, from verse 13 on, is the the work that Paul did to build the church. And we see that Paul, in chapter 9, they're talking about Paul, and then, and then it just abruptly changes to a couple chapters about Peter, and then it comes back to Paul, and in, that, in those two chapters, there are about somewhere between 10 and 12, approximately, years of Paul's life that goes by. We know it doesn't say anything, it just... It just goes by, and that, that was evidently a time when God was working and molding and shaping him. So here's, I'm going to show you a little clip, and this will just give you a little idea of the dates and, and how, how Paul went out on primarily three separate journeys. Let's run that clip right now. <clears throat> Jesus 
journey. He goes back to see those churches, and then Paul starts his uh, third journey. And on his third journey, he is raising support for the poor in Jerusalem. Goes back to the original churches, goes to Ephesus. He spends two years in Ephesus. He writes a letter to the church at Corinth, first Corinthians. Then he goes back to Macedonia, which is the area that Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. He writes a, a second letter to the Corinthians from Philippi, that's second Corinthians. And then he travels down from Macedonia, travels back uh, to Corinth. And then he stays a good while uh, in Corinth. And when he's in Corinth, this is all about Acts 20, he writes the letter to the church in Rome. Then he leaves Corinth, goes back to Macedonia, goes to Philippi again. This will be his last time in Philippi goes back to um, the coast and then to Jerusalem where he's arrested. Paul's arrested and he spends two years in a jail in Caesarea along uh, the ocean. And then because he's a Roman citizen, he appeals uh, to the emperor. And after those two years, he then travels in shipwreck on his way to Rome, goes to Rome, and he is under a kind of a house arrest while he is in Rome. While he's in Rome, he writes what we call the prison letters, prison epistles. And Philippians is one of those. And while he's in Rome, in a jail, he's writing to the people in Philippi. Okay, gives you a little bit of, of the idea. So I, I just want, we're not going to take a long time to do this, but I want to just kind of quickly walk through the life of Paul and just get a little feel for his life and devotion to this ministry. So here's the first, here's a little map of the first missionary journey up there. Now remember, the church has kind of moved from Jerusalem, which is south there of Antioch. You see Antioch on the right side. That's where they kind of settled in, and so we see that Paul heads out on his first missionary journey from there. It's Paul and Barnabas who, by the way, on Cyprus, which is the first island they go to, that's his hometown, and they take a young man, John Mark, with them. They go to Cyprus, and they do some evangelism there, and there's a couple uh, converts there that are pretty remarkable stories. And by the way, this all, if you read through the book of Acts from 13 on, you can follow all of these journeys and all of these stories. They de then arrive up at Perga, Perga is really marshy, and in front of them are, you can see the mountains there. It's extremely difficult terrain. And here's where John Mark either gets homesick, or we don't know what happened, but John Mark says, I want to go home, which didn't sit very well with Paul. But John Mark then leaves and goes back, and we see that Barnabas and Paul make their way over the mountains, and they arrive up there. You'll see in the north of there, and they arrive up at Antioch. This is a second, this is Antioch of Pisidia now, and so that's where they preach the gospel. Then they travel, you can see, down to Iconium, and they go down to Lystra, and it's in Lystra that at first they think Paul and Barnabas are gods, then they find out they're not gods, so then they stone, they, they stone Paul, and they left him for dead. They, thought, they stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. 
And Paul recovers from that, gets up, and goes on to the next town there, you'll see, which is Derby. And then they turn around and they go right back through the town, right back through the town he was stoned in, and make their way back, retrace their steps, and come back. End of the first missionary journey. About 1,400 miles. Okay, here's the second trip. And again, we see that they're leaving from up in Antioch. This time, Paul and Barnabas have an argument. Because Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Remember the guy that got homesick? Paul says, I don't want him to go. He, he didn't make it last time, and, and I don't want him to go. And so they got in a disagreement. Did you know there were disagreements in the early church? <clears throat> and so... Paul takes Silas, Barnabas takes John Mark and goes back to Cyprus, the island that they went on the first trip, and Paul and Silas head north, and you can follow there where they went. They go up, they retrace the steps, visit those cities again, Derby, Lystra, Iconium. Then Paul wants to go south along the coast, and he, his plan is, is to go down there but it says that the Holy Spirit prevented them. And Paul didn't really know why. The Holy Spirit, they, they thought this would be a good thing to do, but it just didn't work out. Ever happened in your life? Something you thought looked like made sense, but they were stopped, and so they went up to Troas. And it was there that Paul has his vision. And the vision is there's this man in Macedonia, which is modern-day Europe, who is who is begging them to come. And so this is a vision from the Holy Spirit that sends Paul and Cyrus into Europe to start begin planting churches over there in Europe. And so you look at Philippi is there. You recognize some of these names. Thessalonica. There's Berea. And Luke has now joined them. They stay up in Thessalonica. And Paul goes down to Corinth. On the first trip, the major city was Antioch. On the second trip, the major city now is Corinth. And that's where Paul spends a significant amount of time, about 18 months. Then he's joined by Luke and Barnum, or Silas. And you can see they make their way back. They stop in at Ephesus and then head home. Second journey. Here's the third journey. <clears throat> this was, uh, by the way, the second journey was about 2,800 miles and took about three years. And the third journey was a little bit longer, 2,700 miles. And again, you can see they take off from Antioch, make their way, and this time they stay about two years in Ephesus, major city. And <clears throat> then they made their way back to those other cities, Philippi, Thessalonica. And uh, you can read through the book of Acts, and you will read uh, a number of amazing stories of things that happened along the way. Now, <clears throat> this was a man whose goal was to destroy the church, and now all of a sudden we see adventure after adventure after adventure as Paul is going on this mission. Listen to the summary of what Paul's life was like. So he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to the description in verse 23 of, of his life. He says, Are they servants of Christ? 
I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. You get the idea that Paul lived a life of danger. I've labored and toiled have gone without sleep, I've known hunger and thirst, have gone without food, I have been cold, I have been naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily concern, pressure on my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? Do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin? Do I not inwardly burn? And so Paul here, I mean, what a life. What a life of devotion to doing what God had called him to do. He would start at least 14 churches in the first century world. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I, when I look at a guy like Paul, and I think about his life, and then I, I, I think about my own life, and you know, I think about the things that I enjoy, you know, things that days that I look forward to, like the Packer game, like a, a round of golf, like doing projects. You know, I, I like to be somewhat comfortable. Anybody here doesn't like to be somewhat comfortable? Yeah. And, you know, you, you begin to look at your own life. I like to go out once a, me- once a week, have a meal out. I like my house, I like my car, I like my phone. Do you ever look at your own life and then look at a guy like Paul or some other hero of the faith or some biography and you read through it and on the one hand it's kind of amazing and on the other hand it's very discouraging. Because you know yourself and you know your own life. And you say, you know what, I'm... I am not anywhere near what a guy like Paul was in his devotion to building the church. Well, there's two things I want to say about that this morning. The first thing I want to say is this. Let's remember that the Bible is not Paul's diary. It's not his journal. They're not even his words. It is God's revealed word that God wanted to communicate to us. This is not an opportunity for Paul to express all of his struggles and all of his feelings and all of the challenges of his life. You know, in in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, he, he opens up just a little bit. There's a couple spots in the Bible. He says, you know, the things I want to do, I I find myself not doing and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. And he goes, it's driving me crazy, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what he says. You know what the answer is? Praise be to God, because now there's no condemnation. He said, the solution is not that I'm doing it all right. The solution is there's no condemnation 
for my struggle for those who are in Christ. Don't miss that. And so God is inviting us to set aside the condemnation that we place upon ourselves because we see ourselves falling short. Now, I don't know if you, you missed, you heard this or not, but listen to Paul, how Paul ends the challenges of his life. He says, who is weak? Do not I feel weak? And then listen to this. Who is, who is led into sin? Do I not inwardly burn? What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying, don't think that I don't have internal desires that are totally contrary to the Word of God. Don't think that I have thoughts coming into my mind and things that I, I'd like to do or say or even believe. Uh, I, I have those same struggles within. So we need to remember that there's a lot more to Paul's life than, than what we simply read in the Scripture. We also have to remember that his entire life is put into 15 short chapters. And so sometimes it looks like one event is happening after another, but you know what? There might be a year or two in between some events. There were days and days and months that Paul spent on a ship, the sea breeze in his face, just traveling from one point to the next. He had travel problems. He had weather issues. He had health issues that limited his ministry. He had interruptions where he spent time in jail. And yeah, he wrote some letters there, which were very important, but you know those letters aren't all that long when you figure he was in jail for two years and had all day. And so we see that Paul's life was probably in some ways more similar to ours than we might think. And here's the second thing I want to say. I want to say that I, I, I think Paul was... I think Paul was certainly far more committed to ministry than I am. But I'm not Paul. You're not Paul. Paul was a unique person. He had a unique call, a unique time, a unique place. And it does us no good to berate ourselves for always looking at how we uh, fall short. It doesn't help us do better. It doesn't help us accomplish more. And so I think it's important to... Get your eyes on what God is doing and what God is, you know, what, what he is, the ministry that has taken place and is being accomplished. So I want to take the next 10 minutes. Now we're going to conclude here, but I want to just quickly walk through some things. How many shared the gospel this week? You thought I forgot, didn't you? Yeah. How many shared the gospel this week? <clears throat> One, two, three, four, five, six, five. About a dozen people. We have people that we challenge. That's why the candle burns. We, we challenge people to share the gospel every week. You will never know, and I, I say this every week, you will never know what happens in those situations. I'm going to show you a picture up here. Uh, the guy on the right there, his name is Gene Dordal. I went to school with him. He went to Valley City State College with me. Uh, I was in university. He was not interested in spiritual things. <clears throat> And we went out one day, a little cold call evangelism, you know, the kind that makes your gut hurt. You get all nervous. And we had this little brochure, and I went out. It was the Four Spiritual Laws by Campus Crusade. I caught him, ran into him in the student union. I said, Gene, would you like to look at this little booklet? He goes, I don't know, I guess. We walked through it. God, has a, God loves you, has a plan for your life. 
man is sinful and separated from God. God sent his son Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. We need to receive him and put him on the throne. I walked through that. And he just kind of went along with me. At the end, I said, there's a prayer here in the back if you want to pray this. He goes, I don't know, I guess. He read it through in an absolute monotone. And then he got up and walked away, and I put it in my pocket, and I said, this is why I hate doing this. <laughs> Ten years later, we're at a class reunion. Gene Dordal's there, and he's like on fire for, he's like on fire for Jesus Christ. And I came up to him. I said, Gene, I said, I said, when did you come, when did you come to know the Lord? And he just looked at me. He said, don't you remember in the student union? And I thought, do you mean that that took? I mean, that was, I was absolutely shocked. Never underestimate the power of that seed, because when you plant a seed, you don't, you don't see it until it grows. And it may be a while before it grows. Here's some pictures. I got some pictures this morning. I just want to walk through these. This is, at the, this is the beads at the fair. Uh, you know, over 700 opportunities to share the gospel and to walk through in these situations, to talk through the, the beads there. We had sometimes the tables were full of people doing those beads. Those bracelets go through the gospel story. They remind the person day after day of that message. I guarantee you, there will be people in heaven. One day you walk up and they may go like this. Thank you for that bracelet. Exciting. I am thankful to be a part of a church that shares the gospel. We see that in Paul's churches, there were people that were baptized and they came to faith. I just want to scroll through some pictures here as we look at this. You'll recognize some of these people. In 2014... Uh, we baptized 19 people. Uh, this year, so far, we, uh, we've had three baptisms. We've baptized 14 people. Every person that you see, this is a, this is a public symbol of a life that has been dramatically, dramatically changed. You know, we sang earlier a song that said, uh, talked about the fact that in, in Jesus, we have life. And uh, baptism is a symbol of going down and being buried and being raised into new life. Some of you are sitting here, uh, are here this morning. Many of the people that are on these uh, pictures are sitting here this morning. This is from just last week out at Man-Made Lake one of the most moving experiences for me. And every time I look at that person, I just think about the fact that their life has been transformed for eternity. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that is reaching out to people locally and seeing people come to Christ. We've also ministered to people in meeting practical needs. Here's a few pics, and as you read those uh, you probably haven't heard these, but this is our, our last mission trip we did in June. Just a few notes. I was really happy to have projects done, which I can't do anymore. Fixing the shed door, edging around my flower beds. Also, 
Thank you, David Shufflebein, for asking me if there was anything I needed done. Here's another one. To Pastor Kim and all you really nice people who worked in my house during Mission Week, I admire my ceiling and word work every day. I tell everybody who will listen what an amazing group of people you are by doing these things just to be nice. P.S. To the man in pink, thanks for the ride. <laughs> Some of you know who that is. Dear Bethany, I want you to know how we appreciate your help this summer for Tracy. She's had a rough year, and your kindness has helped a great deal. May God bless all of you who work so hard for others. Thank you. That was from her mother. Amazed, inspired, grateful. That is how your generosity makes us feel. We sincerely appreciate your kindness. All the volunteer hours given for spreading wood chips on the playground, painting the agency counseling room. With this kindness, your church has made a difference in helping others, keeping our kids safe. It's all signed by the Marathon County Head Start staff. Here's one final one. I am writing to you to thank your staff and parishioners for the important work done in my very old house. The crew showed up at my house. The crew that showed up are representative of the very best humanity has to offer. I tell everyone about the great experience I had with your caring and expert volunteers. Please know my love and gratitude that I will never forget. I am thankful to be a part of a church which gets outside of its walls and takes the time and energy to invest in the community. That's what the early church did. You know, it was the Christians that started the hospitals and the orphanages and, and met the practical needs. The church in Jerusalem blew up and God used it to plant churches all over. I mean, I'm sure that church has gone, we got such a great thing going here. We got great leaders. We got a great group. And you know what God did? He blew it up and sent it out because he wanted the gospel to go out. We have leaders like Jan Martin, Julian Carey Corral, Pete and Donna Aston, Dan, uh, Dave and Angela Jerovic, Brad and Jenny Main, who are no longer with us because they are now in church plants in and around this central Wisconsin area. And we have encouraged them, we have financed them, we have supported them, and in a very, very similar way, I, I, when I think of the early church, I, I think of a lot of what's happened at Bethany. It's not just here, it's, it's overseas. It was back in early 2000, we ran into uh, this little church halfway across the world. Remember that? How many have been to that building? Quite a few people in this room. Here's what God has done. This is a miracle that God invited us to be a part of. And, and that is a miracle. And there are story after story. One day, uh, we hope soon, uh, very possibly within the next year, we will be meeting, at least some of us, in that building, and we will hear the stories of God's faithfulness and, and what he's done. We also just brought back a, uh, by the way, there's 50,000 people within a five-minute walk of that building in the apartments around there. We also partnered in the Philippines. I don't know if you know this, but we as a church invested about $15,000 in, in church plant over there. When our crew came back from the Philippines just recently, 
They said that they are now in the process of planning, I can't remember how many it was, but I know it was, it was at least six additional church plants uh, in the Philippines reaching Filipino people. Uh, we had about 13 people, I believe, that went over, uh, invested time, found out how much work it is to travel and go 12 time zones. And yet, I am so encouraged to be a part of a church that goes beyond its own walls and its own doors to minister to people. And then finally, not only do we go across the sea, but we go across the block. And uh, it's been exciting. These are just a few pics of what happens over at Green Acres. We've been doing ministry now uh, for a couple of summers over there. We've seen those kids come to our Wednesday night program. If you saw the baptism pictures, two of the people that were baptized are from this trailer park. And uh, God has opened a door there, and we've had people that have been excited to walk through that. Many of our young people gather here every Tuesday and, and get ready and go and do that. I, I could go on for a long time, but our time is up this morning. But here's my point. In the book of Acts, we see the beginning of the church. God starts with 120, and we see the church in the early century. But I want to remind us, the story is still being written. The story is still being written. And I think we need to be thankful that God is continuing to write the story he is continuing to call out people from the world into his church and that he's doing it in a significant way through this church body. We don't need to compare ourselves with the book of Acts. We just simply need to follow what God is calling us to do. And he will continue to bear fruit. He will continue to grow his church. We don't need Paul's story. We have our own story. And I am just grateful for everyone who is a part of that story. And as we conclude today, I just want to pray that God would just continue to empower us and to impassion us to be about this amazing work that he's doing in the world. I also want to say this. If you're not a part of the church, if you've never by faith received the work of Christ, uh, this is where it's at. To be a called out one, to have your name written in that book of life, is the only thing that really matters. There'll come a day when that's the only thing that will matter in your life. And uh, now is the time, now is the opportunity when God is calling out his church. Father, I thank you this morning for the fact that we are part of something that was started by a man who was out to destroy the church. And that we are part of this continue, continued story that you are writing. Father, that you have worked in our lives and you've worked in this church in amazing ways, that you continue to call out people, that you continue to uh, expand your kingdom. And so we pray for just a continued and renewed freshness of your spirit and that your power might be manifest in our midst. Father, we pray for uh, all of the opportunities we've had to share the gospel this year and we continue to pray for great fruit in that 
And so, Father, uh, just encourage us by your spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.